my name is Jaime. I'm an alcoholic addict. Um, I'm just grateful for you guys to, uh, you know, to be here and to listen to what I got to say. Hopefully some experience, strength and hope for you. Um, so growing up, uh, start off with the early life growing up. I grew up with uh, alcoholics and addicts, grew up around uh, family, family, friends, friends. Um, was always, uh, you know, always around and with uh, alcoholics and addicts, uh, you know, living that lifestyle and, you know, watching their behaviors and how they, uh, you know, their cycle, basically, you know, they, I mean, we've all been there, uh, I'm sure, um, you know, they would prep by whatever they had to do to get to, you know, to get whatever it is they needed, uh, steal, borrow, hustle, whatever it was. Um, so growing up around that, you know, I swore I would never become that. And uh, yeah, we all know how that goes, right? So uh, yeah, it's uh, my, you know, all I can do is, uh, you know, take responsibility for my stuff. Um, you know, my uh, impact on my, you know, my loved ones, my family and friends and myself, you know. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been tough to live that lifestyle, you know, it's, uh, it's a rough one, it wears you down, right? So uh, yeah, it, it damages relationships, you know, most of my relationships are damaged, uh, I'm trying to uh, mend what I can right now. You know, my family's uh, always, uh, you know, always been worried about me, whether it's, you know, addiction or mental health stuff. Um, yeah, so they've, uh, you know, always been worried. A lot of them, you know, got into it, have been scared. I've scared a lot of people and hurt a lot of people, you know, in my addiction and alcoholism. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a ride, man. So uh, basically, uh, you know, at some point for a lot of us, it comes to a head, you know? So uh, my bottom was, uh, you know, I've been going through divorce the last couple of years and uh, really dealing with some mental health stuff, um, you know, lifelong struggle with mental health and the, uh, you know, the divorce and all the changes and everything didn't, uh, didn't really help with that. So I've been uh, dealing with that also. So uh, yeah, my bottom basically, uh, you know, for almost a year after uh, leaving my house, just using and drinking pretty much every single day. Um, before that was like, you know, use on the weekends, you know, a little bit there to get you through the week. And then, uh, you know, weekend is like, you know, let's get it. So, uh, yeah, that's, that, that was my cycle for, for, you know, a long, long time. But then, uh, you know, through the divorce, it was like, uh, almost every day for about a year. And, uh, finally hit my bottom. Uh, me and my ex were arguing about my daughter and, uh, we didn't agree and uh you know we, we've been we're still kind of struggling with it uh what we're gonna do with uh you know with my daughter and uh i was just you know in a bad way and uh i was arguing with her at the house and i drove back i was staying at my brother's property i drove back to my place and uh just uh you know um i can't recall exactly what i was on but uh i was on one and i was feeling some type of way and i uh, came home and i you know i need to i probably took another drink but i said you know i need to let off some steam and the more i thought about it the more you know angry and resentful i became and uh i decided i was gonna uh you know 
shoot, I was going to target practice. And then after, you know, after uh, a little bit of those uh, looping thoughts getting me, uh, I ended up uh, shooting up my truck and uh, yeah, I lost my shit, shot up my truck. There was nobody around. And so I thought my uh, brother's girlfriend was in the house and uh, scared the shit out of her. And uh, so basically she called everybody and my whole family just converged on me, kind of had a little, you know, intervention on me and uh, said, hey, you need to get into some type of treatment. They wanted me to go to the county hospital. Luckily, uh, I was able to talk them out of that with promises of going to recovery, if I, you know, to find my own, to find my own, uh, you know, recovery spot. And uh, I, I did. I followed through. I, uh, you know got my insurance, you know, lined up, got the recovery place lined up and uh, went in there and I was in there for a month. Um, and uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing that, uh, you know, that experience taking me out of the situation was probably the biggest thing, but uh, that experience was amazing, you know, with all the therapies, the CBT, DBT, we're doing AA meetings, all the staff in the facility were in recovery. So uh, yeah, everything was, uh, you know, everything was geared towards recovery and everybody was seriously uh, committed to that. So that was amazing. Um, you know, then uh, came home, that was 30 days. I came home and, uh, you know, thing, I mean, reality was still waiting for me and, you know, things were still rough, but it lo was looking up. And then, uh, so you know, another month or so of arguing with my ex and going through all this and all that, I ended up feeling some, you know, feeling some type of way, felt my depression coming back. And, uh, you know, I knew that uh, the treatment facility was there. Um, and actually I didn't relapse from, I came out of the uh, treatment facility in the end of August and I went back again in the uh, beginning of November and uh, didn't use that whole time, didn't drink that whole time. And, uh, you know, kind of started trying to get into therapy and kind of, you know, continue the treatment. and. Uh, Going in the second time, so I was clean, went in, um, you know, it was a dual diagnosis. So basically just went back to mental health, you know, cause I wasn't using, but I figured, you know, program would be good. So uh, that time wasn't as good. They were uh, having issues with staffing at the uh, residential and uh, the therapies just weren't there. The treatment just wasn't there. There was one of the guys that was really committed that actually made a big impact on me. And he continued to take us to AA meetings and talk to us. And he wasn't a counselor, but he tried, you know, and uh, he was the one that I uh, liked the least. That was the biggest uh, person I had issue in there with. And uh, he ended up being the most impactful. He gave me my first uh, little big book. And uh, yeah, I was just really, uh, you know, really committed to uh, helping in any and every way he could. It's all about service. So uh, I came out of there, um, you know, disappointed and, uh, you know, a little worried about coming back, you know, at the holiday time. And uh, yeah, so it was a little scary, but uh, I, I just, my dad picked me up and uh, we ended up going, uh, make, we had a road trip, made our uh, rounds, went down to LA to Pomona and then back to Arizona where my dad's at. And I stayed there for about a week and, uh, my dad says, oh, well, your cousin really wants to see you. So, uh, you know, I'll drop you off at his house. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, no big deal, whatever. But uh, not really thinking about all the crazy times I mean, my cousin had. So we went out and, uh, you know, I told him, hey, I'm not drinking. I'm not using, I'm not doing any of this shit. And he's like, all right, no problem, no problem. I'll try to, you know, try to help you out. 
I was actually out with them for a few hours and I was doing pretty good until, uh, you know, these guys were all just getting drunk talking about their divorce stories. Right. So, uh, ended up, uh, just, uh, you know, relating with them. And then after a little while, you know, they had some shots out. Oh yeah, you got to take it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I ended up relapsing in the desert and that was uh, a crazy night, but, uh, that weekend basically. And then I, uh, you know, came back home and, uh, really, you know, have a, a good friend that, uh, really motivated me to, to go to AA and, and actually suggested my sponsor and everything. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was awesome. And, uh, so ba- basically coming home, getting an AA, I said, you know, there's, there's some, a lot of changes I need to make. So made a few changes with my health and, uh, physical health, mental health, emotional health. And, um, yeah, that's been, uh, it's been an amazing journey. It's been rough, you know, still going to divorce, still going through the mental health stuff, still trying to mend these relationships. And, uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a walk. It has not been a walk in the park for me at all. So, uh, the good thing is I always have my home group to go to every night. I always have this amazing sponsor. That's just, you know, saved my bacon plenty of times. And, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's been a journey and uh, just plugging along here, you know, and uh, trying to stay, uh, you know, trying to stay in the program while I'm going through all this crap. And uh, it's been uh, it's been really amazing to have you guys. And I really appreciate all you guys. And uh, yeah, I'll just end off with uh, just keep coming back. I, I just keep coming back and I just keep plugging away. And I'm dying on my fourth step, but I'm plugging away it's real slow, but I'm going. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate all the uh, experience, strength, and hope from all of you guys and all of you guys' service. So thank you guys very much for listening, and I hope you uh, take some away from it. You guys have a good night. Thank you. Michael Alcoholic, I'm really glad to be here tonight. And uh, it's funny, you know, uh, and thank you for your lead, Yami, or Jaime, is it? Um, thank you so much for your lead. And uh, I was hearing a lot of things. You know, especially the part where you're still cranking down on that four step, like get it done, get it done. There's plenty of other steps to go through. That's not even the hardest to me. Um, I love it. I love it. You know, the program has given me so much um, in my life. And, I, and I, I always get nervous before I share, not because, you know, I'm sharing in front of people or, or anything. I just feel like sometimes I'm not supposed to be here. You know, like I'm like too lucky to get get this you know like how does how do I get here you know how do I have a story um it's kind of a trip I grew up in uh uh Westminster California and uh my sobriety date is 8-2-1987 um and you know through the grace of God like I don't even know this was not a decision that I was gonna stick with you know, this was just for me to get cleaned up a little bit and uh, get back out there. Um, this was not for me to stay here for a long period of time. Um, and, uh, you know, I got here pretty young. Um, you know, a few years ago, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. A few years ago, there was a lady, because uh, Jaime was talking about the four step, and there was a lady that I met. And, uh, you know, she and her husband went around. And they interviewed the old timers back in the 1970s and in early 80s. And they, they, were, they had a book that went out there and stuff like that. I'm not going to talk about it. But I had a billion questions for her. 
You know, I was like, how do they come up with sponsor? How do they come up with all these things in AA? Why, why do we, you know, you know, what is all this stuff? Why do we have these names and certain things? And she was explaining to me about the Oxford group and she was explaining to me how all these things were already there. And Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and a few others got together and, and got this thing going. Um, they already had it. And I was like, that makes so much sense because it seems like, the, you know, in the beginning of the big book, there was just too much of a story there, you know, for newcomers to be writing this stuff. And yet they were, they were still in that, that period. But the sponsors back then, before you can even get to a meeting, the sponsor had to let you into the meeting. I thought that was amazing. Like you literally could not get into a meeting unless you had a sponsor. And that sponsor went out searching for you back in those days. And you had to go through all of the steps before you could get to those meetings, before you could even get in. And I thought that was just a trip. And, uh, you know, and they went through the steps fast. I mean, some, some of these guys went through it in days. And, you know, I got really lucky when I, when I first came in too, you know, my sponsor sat me down and we went through the steps really, really quick, you know, and, uh, but, you know, just so much from, from what this lady, I just, it was a gift for, for me to like find her and talk to her and have coffee with her and just learn about all the, um, all the small conferences that they had just to get sponsors going, just to get people through the steps. Cause there was more people coming into this program than there were sponsors, you know, and, uh, and they didn't know what to do. Um, so it's just kind of a trip how this whole program has evolved. And, uh, you know, there's three things that I, I look at, um, when I try to get up in the morning and before I go and talk to other, other, uh, alcoholics, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I, I love about this is rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And that tells me a lot because it tells me that I can be anybody you know, in this program, I can be anybody, as long as I follow the path, you know, I can get this too. The other one is uh, incapable of being honest with themselves. I've sponsored a lot of people. And it seems like in the last 10 years, I've sponsored people that have literally 10 years sober and never gone through the steps because their sponsor never gotten through the steps. And it just, it's, it's a, there's a lot of that going on. And uh, I love sponsoring these guys, especially the ones that have been around and, and have not had the chance to get through the steps. Um, but that one thing about incapable of being honest, you know, if that's that's the, the one thing that we need. And then the other one is, uh, you know, well, it's it's just being the rigorous honesty. So my my time uh, of being a kid was pretty much short lived. Um, growing up in my house, I had a brother that was about six years older than me. And, uh, I don't know if my mom was bipolar or not, but we didn't really talk like that back then. Um, but my dad was always gone and there was, they were, there was a lot of drama between those two, my dad and my mom. And so my brother and I, we just took off, man. I mean, we had bikes and it was the eighties and seventies. And so we just took off and uh, rode around all day until the lights came on and, and you got home. And what we did in that, you know, 10 to 12 hour period, you know, was astonishing. I mean, I see kids today just living it up in their internet rooms and, and that's about it. Um, I mean, we went out there, we played hard. And, uh, 
you know, and, and he was always into, you know, the alcohol and the drugs and everything else. And he had a lot of older friends and stuff like that. And I just hung out with him just to get out of the house because of all the drama that was going on. And there was a lot of fights and stuff like that. And he got his, he got his share. Um, and I saw that, you know, as a kid and, and I became like the codependent kid in my house. Uh, my brother was getting, you know, beat up and, and I was kind of like trying to take it outside and try to calm down the neighbors and act like nothing was happening. I'd clean up the messes the next morning that was going on. Um, it was just terrible stuff. And then, you know, my mom and her alcohol uh, drinking was just kind of poisoning our house. Um, and dad leaving all the time. <laughs> it finally started hitting us. And then it finally started hitting me. And, uh, you know, and I was a kid, you know, when the fights happened, the Christmas tree would fly out the front door. And the next morning, I'd be out there picking up the pieces before the sun rose, you know, just trying to make sure that no one in the neighbors can see what's really going on in our house. Everybody knew. I mean, the cops were there at least once a week. So I was embarrassed. And that's when I started lying. You know, that's when I started lying about what's going on in my life. Um, everywhere I went, I tried to be somebody else because I just didn't like the way I was living. I didn't like where I was at and uh, I was embarrassed. Um, you know, my brother, we would have always backyard parties in Orange County and there's a lot of punk shows and stuff like that. And uh, he would always go to like these $3 kegers, you know, and uh, um when the parents left the house, he was kind of stuck with me, he's babysitting me, and I would just hang out with him. And uh, we go to these $3 kegers, and, um, you know, I just enjoyed it. Um, I think the first time I, I officially got drunk, I probably had a couple of beers in my life before that, but uh, officially getting drunk, um, coming back from a party, uh, I was nine years old, and uh, I loved it, loved it. Uh, I hated the spinning, and I hated the puking. Um, but, uh, and I swore up and down, I would never do it again, but there was something about it. You know, it was something about having a cup and drinking through the, the kager, you know, and listening to punk bands. And I just felt like these were my people. Um, and the best thing about it was that warm feeling that it gave me, you know, and everything went away, like all of my concerns, you know, and I'd been beaten up. I'd been bruised. I'd been you know, by this time I had gone through the whole ringer at home and a lot of abuse and it all just kind of lifted away, just all gone. You know, I didn't have any words. I felt like I was with a different club, you know? So uh, it was amazing. Um, and I really thought that was my next answer, you know? So, uh, but I didn't really think much of it. I mean, I didn't think it was like, the, you know, I wasn't ready to go the next, next day. I just kind of, it was just fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, we did that quite a bit. And, uh, and then things got serious at home and my brother would leave a little bit longer and he would escape the house. And then I would get, you know, in trouble at the house and find myself on the streets a little bit later at night, a little bit later at night. And we had a way to get beer. This was the best thing. Um, we had a homeless guy down at the Circle K named Pete and we used to always go up to Pete and uh, uh, if we could give him some cash or something, scrounge up some money, he would give us some beers. Um, and, you know, we would we would always have that. So that's how we got our alcohol and around the house. Um, and then, of course, the outside issues that he would be smoking as well, um, you know, and doing. And uh, I never really got too much into it with him, but 
um, I love the beer and the alcohol. And we would have parties all the time at the house. And the best thing was he would always steal all the drinks that were left over on the kitchen table. And I was like, that's disgusting, man. What are you doing? You know, and I would grab the alcohol straight from the refrigerator and, and throw it in the backyard and, uh, and have it hidden all over the bushes. I would find it the next day or the next weekend. I bet you now, if I were to go back to an old house, there would probably be some stash, you know, somewhere around there. Um, you know, and, and I know what you're thinking, like, why do you, you know, I, I just, it was just more about collecting it at the time. Um, because as I got older, my, my window faced the backyard and I used to always jump out and, uh, find a, you know, find something back there and start drinking it. And I had stashes all over, um, all over the neighborhood, man. It was crazy. So, uh, that was my thing. Um, you know, but it progressed, you know, my, my dad finally left for good. The dog fucking ran away. I don't know. And, uh, sooner or later, um, my, uh, you know, my brother went into the Navy and it started turning on me, you know, and it was bad. I mean, one day I didn't know what I was coming home to. You know, it, if you talk to me today about my mom, I don't have anything bad about to say to her. I don't have nothing bad to say about her. Um, I really don't. And so it's hard for me when I have to speak sometimes to talk about her in this way, because I don't have any ill feelings towards my father or my mom, um, you know, or my brother um, for that matter. But, you know, back then, it was, it was pretty brutal, you know, waking up and getting things thrown at you in the, in the middle of the morning. And, and uh, uh, you were kind of forced to leave the house. There was no doubt about it. And I didn't trust the, the law or I didn't trust the schools. I didn't trust a lot of people because they had been, they had seen me. They'd seen the bruises. They'd seen the stuff that was going on in my house and everyone kind of, you know, ignored it. And I felt guilty like it was my fault. So I had that going for a long time. But what got me, what escalated a lot of it was being on the streets, you know. Um, one night it was so bad, I left the house around 11 o'clock at night and, uh, you know, found myself, you know, talking to Pete at three in the morning, losing it up and coming in around five or six in the morning and, and going right back out at like nine or 10 in, in the, in the, in the morning <laughs> and seeing on the streets and it would take a day and then. Next time it would happen, it would be a week. The next time it happened, I would be, you know, months in and looking for a youth shelter just to get, you know, a shower in for a couple of weeks and take a break, get back into school. And, and it would just kept, kept going like this throughout the whole time. So, um, and I love the streets. I started loving the streets because that's where I could find my alcohol because I was underage. Uh, you know, and I made my way all the way up to Hollywood a few times and Got to do that and be a runaway kid. Um, loved it. Um, but after a couple of days being on the streets, you start smelling like the streets, you know, and it, you're really quickly, you convert over. And uh, I didn't think it was going to happen to me, you know, but there I was panhandling and, uh, you know, and having to panhandle harder than everyone else because, you know, I couldn't buy the alcohol. And, uh, they say drugs were easier to get on the streets. I don't think so. From not for me, um, but uh, I don't know. You know, it. I found myself doing that and trying to get away from it all every single night. Trying to just try to get to a blackout. You know, I talk, I didn't know what a blackout was until I came into the rooms and 
you know, I, I probably had some definitely, but I drank to just, to just go to sleep. You know, that was the only thing I, I, I felt like I wanted to do by the end of the night. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, a lot of things happened on the streets and, uh, especially to young men and especially up in Hollywood. Um, you know, and, uh, I couldn't believe, you know, waking up and finding myself in, in the weirdest situations, you know, sometimes they were hilarious. Sometimes they were just downright scary. And, uh, you know, I don't know how I got through a lot of it. Um, I went to a youth shelter called Amparo Youth Shelter in uh, Garda Grove and uh, ended up there because I fell asleep in a car and I broke, I break into cars and steal your change. And, um, and that was <laughs> sometimes necessary to get my needs met. Um, and I, it was really scary too, because I just remember I, I just couldn't stop. Like every morning I had a plan to, to find a way, find a solution, find something to get me out of this. I don't want to be there anymore. And I felt useless and I felt scared. And I'd been through so many youth shelters at this time. I, I'd been through all of LA County youth shelters pretty much and Orange County. And, uh, you know, I finally got um, to this one shelter because uh, when they locked me up, um, they tried to contact my parents. And I say this because I don't know if people understand, but there's these things called answering machines and nobody had cell phones back then. And they, they called both my parents and no one answered the phone. And uh, so uh, one cop saw me and got me into a youth shelter and uh, he was acting like he was going to take me to juvie. And uh, he got me to the car and there was a gate opening up in the parking lot where the squad car was or whatever. And uh, he said, I got you, uh, I got you into this youth shelter. He gave me a little piece of paper and he says, if that gate closes and you're still in here, you're going to juvie. So I walked out of there. Um, I called the number and uh, yeah, you know, um, I made it to this youth shelter and uh, there was a guy there and he seemed like he might've been in the program, but he got me to get to a meeting that night or the next day. Um, and I was still pretty much messed up. I was really like detoxing in the, in the back room. And, and I remember he got me to this meeting and it was uh, called Youth First Variety in uh, Garden Grove. And uh, it was on Tuesday nights. And, uh, you know, it was funny. Um, I walked in there and the old timer, you know, there was like three old guys there. And I thought this was a, you know, young people's meeting. And I uh, thought this was kind of weird that there's three freaking old people here. And what, you know, and then all of a sudden a 14 year old walked in and, you know, and a 15 year old and an 18 year old and all these people started walking in. And uh, the old timer shared a story about a girl named Annie who uh, went to the youth shelter and she was going to meetings, I guess, and she was in and out of the rooms and she couldn't stay sober too. And um, she, uh, she said she needed to go to a meeting that youth shelter, I guess, said that um, she was a little too young to be in AA, they thought. And uh, so she got up and left and ran away, I guess. Um, I don't know how she got out uh, or what, what got her out there, but um, they found her dead like two weeks later. And uh, so these three old timers and some of the counselors there were in the program and the counselor got a hold of these old timers at the Alano Club nearby. And the old timers started this meeting, you know, and they opened the doors for me two years later. And I was like, wow, you know, I mean, I didn't feel that way at the time, but, you know, 
I see that and I look at it now and I have to always share that story, you know, about Annie because she started that meeting that helped a lot of people. Um, you know, you just don't know how you're going to get here. Clive was my sponsor back then and Clive wasn't just my only sponsor. He had two other guys with him at all times. It was like, <laughs> it's like his, his entourage. And they also were kind of like the backup sponsors. And, uh, you know, I, Clive sat me down and uh, he says, you know, what are you doing here? And when you get out, you know, come on back. And, um, and uh, we went out for coffee. I think the minute I got a chance to get back um, out of the youth shelter, I went back home and uh, I made it on a bus ride up there and, and hit that meeting the third week. And, uh, you know, I said, I really want to stay sober. I just don't know how. I just don't know how I'm going to do it because I'm going to end up on the streets. I'm going to end up there anyways because of my situation. And I said, but I would, I really want a chance at this life. I really want a chance, but I can't stop this. If I stay another day or two, I'm going to, I'm going to start drinking again because of the life at home. I'm going to get kicked out. I just know it. And about four or five days later, I was kicked out and ended up at his house and on his couch. And the very next day uh, we went through the steps. Um, not all of them, but we started, you know, and uh, we went through the two part of, you know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And then we talked about how my life was unmanageable, you know, and we continued that, you know, with step two and step three, um, you know, coming to believe in a power greater than myself. I just, I just saw it through you guys. That's all I did. I just saw it through everyone else. I, I really, I had a belief in God that I've been let down so many times, being on the streets, you better believe I believed in God and, and I prayed to God as much as I could, but nothing was coming my way you know, more and more things. It was like, I was, I was, I was kind of a victim, but at the same time I had, I caught this thing, you know, and I couldn't let go. Um, by the way, I love all the animals on the screen. I think that's awesome. Um, go Alipet. Um, you know, making that made a decision to turn my life over to the care of God. As I understood him, like, um, writing my stuff down and looking at everything that was going on, um, it wasn't really too hard because I had nothing else to lose. I didn't look at it that way. Going through step four was a little bit different, but we went through that really, really fast. And I love that about this guy because I had no idea people struggle with their four step. I didn't know that people were on their four step for 10 years. I had no idea that people had any problems with this thing because I just wrote it out. And he sat there and wrote it with me and we were together on it. And I think that's how it should be. You know, if anyone's giving you homework, you know, to do, that's one thing. But if they're not hanging out with you, figuring this thing out, you know, he was just really old school. And uh, I love that. Admitting to him or to to somebody, you know, all my, my wrongs and everything else, I didn't have a problem with that. That wasn't a big deal. Um, I'd already put it on paper and uh, it felt good. And I can see the changes that were coming in me as I was doing this. I was only 13. You think I'm going to stay though? You think I'm, I'm not staying. This is stupid. You know, that's what I kept going through my head, going through all this stuff. I went through six, went through seven, you know, going to eight. I'm, I'm starting to write down my admins. I'm going to, I'm really going to be doing this. And I started doing it and I hit nine. And, uh, you know, I remember him, I've come back from my men's and he goes, how'd it go? And he would say, so, did you ask him? 
did you ask them how it, how it felt for them? What you did to them? Did you ask them? And uh, I said, no, when I started doing that and I started, he goes, then shut up when you, when you ask him that, just shut up. And uh, so I shut up and I'd, I'd get a load full of how, what happened to them, how it, it felt for me to break all their windows, you know, in their house or, you know, sleep in their car or steal their stuff or steal the money, you know, how'd it feel, you know? And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that I had to listen to that. And it hurt for a very long time. Um, you know, the, the 10 and 11, 12, I, I get to do that today, every day, um, and practice that. And, uh, and I get to sponsor people, you know. Um, if, you know, I don't, I don't know. The streets were still there. I, I still went to meetings. I still did a lot of bus time and had to ask for rides getting home. And, uh, you know, at 15, um, it was a bittersweet and nobody was home. And uh, I came home to an empty house and uh, learned about, you know, 30 minutes later that my mom had died and uh, she was in the hospital. And uh, it was like a bittersweet, it's 50-50 load. Like I was mad, I was angry that this person it's no longer in my life. I wanted this person to get this thing so bad or something. Um, at the same time, I was, I was, I was relieved, you know, it was really hard for me to admit that. Um, at the other part of it, I was pissed because I wanted to go out. I had finally like got cleaned up. I got things going on in my life. I, I got to go back to school and, get back and get all these things that I kind of lost when I was out there. I no longer got kicked out of the house at 15 because I was bigger. And I also was a lot smarter. Um, and I would start calling the cops on my mom. I would start pushing back a little bit with tough love, you know, and she knew she couldn't fight me on a lot of this stuff. If things got out of hand, I just left, you know, and uh, I had places to go. I had Alano clubs to go to and, and I was barely hanging on, but I deeply wanted to go back out. I didn't want to be one of those weirdos that stayed sober. And, uh, but now with my mom dead, nobody was in the house. My brother came back from the Navy to uh, take care of me. And it was like the outsiders. It was, it was, is that right? The outsider, uh, forget the name. Yeah, okay. It was like that. And the house was like flipped over now. And now it's alcohol is all in the fridge. And all the outside drugs are inside the house. My door is getting kicked down nightly. And uh, I no longer really have to leave the house, but it's freaking crazy. There's people living in our living room. You know, my brother, you know, brings home a 16-year-old girlfriend. You know, uh, it's just it's just insane. And uh, meanwhile, I'm mourning, I'm doing all this stuff. And it was unlivable, you know. And uh, I just couldn't see myself you know, going out there. And then I went to the funeral and I get to the funeral and on one side, there's all this family. And all of a sudden I look over and it's all my Tuesday night meeting is <laughs> sitting over there. And I'm like, God, I don't even know half these people. Like they don't even, I didn't even think that guy liked me over there. And, and they're all here. What the hell? You know, these are like my family. And I just, I was just blown away. I was like, shit, I can't go back out now. I mean, 
right? What a guilt trip. And they come to freaking my mom's funeral. Jesus, what is this, a cult? This is crazy. But they were there. And they were there through all the rough times of that. You know, I finally got to leave my, my brother's house and or our house. And, uh, you know, and there was a lot of, a lot of things that went wrong there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hung in there and I got on my own. Um, and uh, 16, I, I just, I, I don't know, I was just on my own. It was like illegal, but I did it. Um, I lived off of her social social security. It wasn't much, but it, it got me a room. And I lived with a family that spoke no English and I spoke no Spanish and it worked out perfect. Um, you know, I bought a bus pass and, uh, you know, that was it. And I went to school, um, you know, I don't know. And I went to my meetings and uh, I don't know, got a job at Knossberry Farm and got a car. You know, I just started little things like that. And all in the back of my head, I'm still going to go out. <laughs> I'm still going to leave because I don't think I had a bottom because everyone freaking talked about the bottom. And I felt like I didn't have one. You know, and my sponsor used to call it your elevator ride. You can get off anytime. And uh, I was like, crap, this is, might be happening. This might be happening. I don't know. And I hit 21 at one point, And here I was in school. and. Um, and I was in a career already and, and, uh, you know, it was time for me to go back and drink. And I was looking at all these new, new alcohols, uh, dry and whatever ice. And that was new back then and all the weird flavored ones and all that stuff. I was like, wow, I never got to try those. And I never been in a bar. I never got to drink in a bar. I never got to have any of these, you know, legal drinks. And, uh, I don't know. I, I had to finish what I was doing, though, at, at work. And I really wanted, you know, not to be that guy. And I knew I had a lot of other outside issues like anger. And I wasn't really good at relationships. And I had I had this other disease, too, you know, and they call it now like, you know, dual diagnosis and stuff like that, you know. And uh, it was a trip. And I just I just kept coming back. I don't know why. And I started sponsoring people, you know, uh, they wouldn't give me the time of day when I was a teenager, but, uh, you know, there wasn't too much going on there, but, you know, I, that's, that's what I did. And it was just one day at a time. And, uh, I was getting the, re I was reaping the promises, you know, all I was doing was just doing the work. And I had seen so many people tell me they couldn't get this program, you know, and, and I saw so many people who told me they really want this program. And I've seen people who really, really need this program. But when I've seen people work at this program, those are the ones that I see make it, you know? And it's that, it's that continuous, you know? And when I stopped, I got really dry really quick, you know? I've been to outside therapy, um, you know, three times in my life. It's definitely something that I recommend if you need it. Um, if the, for the outside issues. Um, I had a lot of them. Um, I can say today that I have really good relationships with people. Um, you know, uh, my, my original sponsor uh, died when I had about 10 years sober. Um, and uh, I think most of his cronies are probably gone. Um, and some of them just disappeared. 
but I got to keep up with a lot of them for at least 20 years. Um, you know, and uh, my, uh, my mom used to write these huge, huge journals and then just throw them away. And we could never figure out what that happened, what was going on with that. But we always suspected that there was like a secret life. And we used to always joke about how she had a secret life. About five years ago, I got a phone call uh, from a lady who's in Miami and uh, she has like a Cuban or a Colombian accent. It was the weirdest thing. And she told me she was my sister. And I was like, dude, these solicitors are getting really, really good. You know, um, this is crazy. Like they know everything about me. Like she went to Ancestry or something. And she was bummed because she had just lost her mom that day. She's just found out that she was adopted. And uh, she knew, she found she was had like half Italian in her. And uh, she finally found out her mom's maiden name. And she looked it up and she found out that she was dead. And uh, my brother and I just tripped out on that. Like we have an older sister, you know, that was like, you know, my dad didn't have a clue. Nobody, this was like a hidden family secret. I just thought that was just amazing. But, um, you know, and now, now we have a relationship. You know, my brother and I have a tight relationship. My dad, he's still... <laughs> He's still a great guy. He's, he's awesome, but he's still the musician. He's still like, got to go. And uh, he's busy with that, but he's got something to do. It's so great. He's like 80 years old. And I feel like if we take away Coca-Cola and uh, his band, you know, he'll probably, you know, it's what's like keeping him alive, you know? And uh, I don't know. I just, I get to see a lot of really cool things these days, um, you know? And for me, you know, like I look back on, on those days and uh, I don't try to stay there too much, but I'm really grateful for, you know, the people that opened the doors for me, you know, I mean, I I've been discriminated still today. I, I will get discriminated. I've walked into meetings and uh, once they find out that you got sober at 13 and they don't know your story or you don't even get to share it, you're uh, you know, you get judged. I remember coming out of a speaker meeting and I was a speaker and, I finally shared after about six months being in this meeting and uh, some guy came up to me and said, I'm really glad you shared your story. Cause I really thought you were wacko, man. You know? And I was just like, dude, do they really think I have 35 years and I'm just coming to a meeting and trying to be a poser? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend this much time, you know, like it, you know, I, I don't, I'm not bothered by it too much, but sometimes it, it makes me feel a little bit lonely you know, in the rooms. And I look up to a lot of people and to find out that they, what they think of me, you know, I've, I've heard stuff behind my back, you know, and I have to like live with it because it's going to be with me for the rest of my life. As I get older, it gets worse. You know, when I was younger, I had jet black hair, about nine inches tall. I was punk rock. And, uh, you know, I looked apart and you were like, good kid, keep coming back, you know? And as I got older and I got cleaned up, they're like, what are you doing? How much time? And, uh, but I'll tell you what, time, you know, I've been in bad spots in time, you know, and I've been in really good spots with time. Right now I'm in a really bad spot in a lot of ways and I'm in a really good spot today. Um, you know, I'm really counting the blessings of what I do have. Um, you know, I'm married today. I have another, I have a furry friend that, that gets to live with us. Uh, I think, you know, she adopted us um, and uh, I'm happy. You know, in, in most places, I'm pretty happy and I'm grateful that I'm sober. Um, the rest of the family have had their struggles with, with this thing. And, uh, you know, and I don't have to judge. I can just be there with people. 
you know, and it's so unlike me to, to the character that I am today than where I was at. And I'm still that same guy, you know, that doesn't change for me. Like I'm still the jerk and I'm still the codependent and I'm still the, the bully and I'm still the anarchist. I'm still all these crazy things. I'm still bad at relationships, but I just do the work, you know, and I get to have a life. Um, and that's all I do. So anyways, guys, I'm really grateful to be here. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for opening the doors for me.